Hello, and welcome to Life in Their Sandals. This is a podcast where we dive deep into the lives of biblical people to determine how we should live as Christians today. I'm your host, Chris McGrath, and today we have the great opportunity to finish our Life of Jesus series, and that means we are going to be talking about the period in time known as the Ascension, or as Luke said in the book of Acts, the time of many infallible proofs. So after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and followers multiple times over a period of 40 days. These appearances are all recorded in the New Testament, primarily in the Gospels, as well as in the first chapter of the book of Acts. If you can remember from our last episode, we left off talking about Jesus visiting the disciples on the end of the resurrection day when he met with them, when Thomas was not there. Thomas, of course, not having seen Jesus, asked to have the same evidence that everyone else had to see his wounds and to see his scars. Eight days after this period of time, Jesus appears to the disciples again, but this time Thomas is with them. And Jesus invites Thomas, sensing his disbelief, sensing his need for evidence to believe, and invites him to touch his wounds. Thomas touches the wounds of Jesus, and immediately he declares, my Lord and my God. Jesus tells Thomas that he believes because he has seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Jesus then later would appear to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And here we have just an amazing storybook moment of resolution, just as he had called Peter out of the sea to be a fisher of men. Now he sees Peter, John, and a few other disciples out. They've returned back to what they knew was comfortable, to what they knew how to do. And he tells them, cast your net into the other side of the boat. And they do it. And when they do it, immediately their nets fill. And when this happens, they remember that moment those years ago when Jesus had called them. And Peter throws on his outer garment and he dives into the waves and he swims back to shore as the other disciples are working to haul in the huge catch of fish that they had. And Jesus had prepared a dinner on the shoreline when they had come in. They were so excited to see him. And Jesus, after giving them the dinner, gives Peter a unique moment. He asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, you, you know I love you. He asks again, Peter, do you love me? Peter answers, you know I love you. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says these words, then feed my sheep. This was clearly an indication to Peter of what his responsibility and part of his role would be in shepherding that early church that he would later on be the head of in Jerusalem. After this moment, incredible moment, where for each time of Peter's denial, Jesus gave him an opportunity to have restoration and to prove his love and affection. After this, we find Jesus giving the Great Commission. Jesus appears to his disciples in Galilee, and he tells them to go into every nation to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, which of course they fulfilled by baptizing every person they baptized in the name of Jesus. And he promised that he would be with them always, even until the end of the world. After this period, then we have the ascension where Jesus in the first chapter of the book of Acts 
finds his disciples, leads them up to the Mount of Olives, where he blesses them, tells them, go and wait for something in the upper room. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, and all Judea, and Jerusalem, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And after he speaks these words to them, he just floats up into heaven. I don't know if he floated. I don't know if he shot like a laser beam. I don't know exactly what happened, but he ascends into heaven. And the men of Galilee are so astonished by this moment that they stand there looking up into the sky. And I don't know how long it took them. I don't know if they were there for 30 seconds or 30 minutes, but it was some period of time that caused angels to then reappear in the sky and say to them, ye men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing? What are you looking for? Go do what he said. Go fulfill the commandment that he had given you. And they leave. These moments in scripture all point to a very significant event that would then happen later in the book of Acts chapter 2. Jesus told them that they would be endued with power from on high, that they should go and tarry in Jerusalem. So later then in the book of Acts chapter 2, we see after the disciples had chosen a replacement for Judas, we see them in the upper room praying and they were in one accord in one mind, and they were seeking the thing that God had promised to them. They didn't know if Jesus was coming back in a week. They didn't know if he was coming back in a month. They didn't know that it would be 2,000 years later, and we're still awaiting the return of our Lord. And so they were there praying, looking for this thing that Jesus would give to them. And then all of a sudden, uh, wind moves in, and there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and the Spirit of God descends on the 120 in there, appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These uh, exclamations that they were crying out in not their native tongue, but the tongues of many who were gathering to be in the city of Jerusalem for this time of the Feast of Pentecost, and they were all there and they heard these Galileans start to speak and glorify God in other languages and they thought that they were drunk on new wine, they said to one another. And Peter, sensing their doubt, cries out to them that we are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel when God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And Peter begins to lead them by appealing to David and of course, Joel, when appealing to some of the other prophets of the Old Testament, he leads them to a place where he gets them to feel conviction for the fact that just a few days before they had sentenced the Lord of life and crucified him and gave him an uh, execution that a bad prisoner would have deserved. But instead, they did it to the one who had come to save their souls. And they, when they hear these words and they see these signs, they are pricked in their heart. And they want to know what they can do. And Peter preaches to them and says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is the end of the life of Jesus. All the way from his birth in the manger, to his ascension on the Mount of Olives, and to the fulfillment of his promise that he said would come in that upper room in Jerusalem, we can see 
that there was always a plan in the mind of God. In the first chapter of the book of John, it's referred to as the Logos. And what that means is that God had a plan for the redemption of mankind. I know you and me today, we're thankful for what Jesus did. He was not just a teacher. He was not just another prophet. But he was God manifest in the flesh who had come to seek and to save the lost. That includes me and that includes you. And I'm glad that when he left on the Mount of Olives, he didn't tell the disciples, go figure it out for yourselves. But he said, go and wait. And so what are some of the takeaways that we can grasp from this moment of scripture? Well, it started really with Thomas. When he received the evidence of Jesus, he cried out, my Lord and my God. I think a great takeaway here is just another attestation, even from someone like Thomas, who was more monotheistic than we could probably imagine having grown up in that culture, realizing that this was God manifest in the flesh, that Jesus, having raised himself from the dead, was not something that any prophet could have done, but it was something that only God could have done. After this moment with Thomas, we then jump to that period where Peter's rushing out of the boat to meet Jesus in the Sea of Galilee, or sometimes referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. And this is such an incredible ending moment to their relationship. And what I get from that period of scripture, from that narrative, is that for every moment of failure Peter had, he was always willing to rush out to meet Jesus. He had periods of shame and guilt, but then he had periods of just wanting to get to Jesus. I believe that an opportunity for redemption will follow a passionate try to get back in right relationship with God. We are all going to make mistakes. We are all going to deny Jesus in our own way. But when we try to reach out to him out of a heart of passion, out of a heart that wants to be made clean, he sees and honors that. And we know that he does because he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom and let him be in charge of the early apostolic church. Another moment, of course, the Great Commission, something we still are fulfilling today to go into all nations and make disciples of people and instruct them to be baptized. And of course, this is still alive in our commission for all of us today, those who are a part of the church. And finally, the ascension, Jesus left up into heaven, told them to go wait in that upper room. And of course, we know that they did. And so this is my uh, message to anybody today about this whole Life of Jesus series is this. We can take so many incredible principles from his teaching, whether it be leadership principles, whether it be financial principles, whether it be interpersonal relationship principles. There are literally an infinite amount of ways to have a good application from the things that Jesus taught. But the most important thing was this. When he's standing there about to ascend up into heaven, he doesn't tell them, make sure you invest in your Roth IRA. He doesn't tell them, make sure that you know you communicate and he doesn't say anything that we usually use as cliche pieces of advice that are good pieces of advice but he says go and pray go and wait and so i want to tell somebody today it did not stop with his life on earth but he put this church like a key in our hands to be able to move it forward we get to drive this bus we get to have a part in extending the kingdom of God because he wants to use me and you. And so if you haven't had that experience where God has been able to fill you with his spirit, I want to tell you, you cannot serve God in your flesh. It's impossible to try to do the things of God and to have not received the spirit. 
And so this is what I would say. Go and wait. Go and pray. He wants to fill every person with the gift of the Holy Ghost. His whole life was leading up to it. When he was there on the Mount of Olives, that's what he chose to say. And if you think it's not essential, if you think it's not important, then why would Jesus have used that as his last commandment to his disciples? And we are the church of the book of Acts. Everything he said applies to us and we should follow today. So go and wait, go and tarry and receive empowerment from on high. It will follow the passion you have to be in right relationship with God. I really enjoyed talking about the life of Jesus and I hope you enjoyed listening just as much as I did researching and speaking on this topic. No better field of study than to study the life of Jesus. And I am so thankful that you were able to tune in and make it this far. I hope you tune in next week. We will be talking about someone who is very integral to the story of the Bible. And I know that you will enjoy it. Hope to see you next time. But in the meantime, be blessed. Have a great week.